This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast, where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Hello and welcome back. This is Emma from Motor Partners and today we have the pleasure and privilege of being joined by Sammy Albashir. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you, Emma. It's nice to be great. here. Yeah, it's great to have you. We've had a few minutes just before this and I already learned so much from just five minutes. I'm really excited to have you here today. Tell us about you. Give the listeners some of your background. Well, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me and also both of us. This is our first uh, shot at the rodeo, as they say, right? Yeah, yeah, this is our debut. I know. Hopefully not the last time we're on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 20 plus year kind of investment guy, sad to say. So I think everybody tuned out already. But to keep them interested, I've grown up between three different cultures, the UK, where we're sitting right now, but also Saudi Arabia, where my father's from, and the United States, where my mom's from, and kind of bounced around growing up that way. And I think that's kind of led into my career, which has been very much a jack of all trades, master of none, and somebody who likes challenges that are somewhat unique and looking at things from skewed angles that a lot of other people go, what the heck are you talking about? So my CV is, you know, kind of pockmarked with oddities and whatnot, but that makes me who I am. Well, I have it in front of me here, and it is the most decorated CV I have seen in a while. <laughs> and you are the co-founder of Atlas Partners. Tell us a bit more about Atlas. Why did you start Atlas? What was the opportunity that you saw? Okay, so, so the biggest thing about Atlas Partners, as I say, is really hard to describe something that we think has never really been done the way it's being done. But a lot of catalysts came from kind of a general theme in the investment industry that I experienced sitting at really my previous role as head of investments at a group called Hassana Investment Company, which is a $100 billion plus social insurance plan in Saudi Arabia for the private sector. And, you know, what often happens is in terms of investment opportunities in Saudi Arabia, particularly, you get the usual suspects coming to meet you and you're like, okay, well, we know this really big firm and you have some great ideas. And then you have these placement agents who show up and it's kind of a bit of a scatterbomb approach, nothing really curated for you. And you got your advisors who are doing their best to, you know, show you the best opportunities, but a lot of stuff falls through the cracks. There's a lot of silos there. And it boils down to a larger problem, I think, the asset management industry, which is the principal agent problem, which people talk about all the time, but don't, I think, define real well. And there's this animosity, right? It's like, I know you're trying to, well, I got a part of my French here. I know you're trying to take advantage of me. That's probably not the right way to put it, <laughs> yeah. but we're going to dance together anyway. And what we really tried to do at Hasana was develop partnerships with managers, find good managers. And I always said, we are looking to use your capabilities rather than buy your products. So what we're doing with Atlas Partners is looking for really good investment opportunities around the world and curating that and introducing it into the kingdom to a variety of investors who might not normally have access to that type of stuff but in a very thoughtful rifle shot kind of way rather than scatterbomb, which you often see. So that's a bridge is probably the best way I could put it right now. Yes, I love that. I love that analogy. 
And you say you curate investment opportunities in the best that you come across from around the world. Mm -hmm. Tell us, tell us about those opportunities that you have seen and where the biggest opportunity is from an industry and geography perspective. Yeah, that's a question that's always hard for me to answer. You know, people say, what's your favorite investment right now? And I mean, first and foremost, I think what you do in my position and what I've always done is partner with really smart investors, yeah. right? Start with the humility that there are very few really good investors out there that have stood the test of time. I think oftentimes investors are looking for the shiny, new, exciting manager. But to the best of my knowledge, I've yet to find anybody on earth who's been able to identify the next Warren Buffett, irrespective of what you know people say. So when you ask me, you know, what's interesting, everything's interesting and almost nothing's interesting simultaneously. Yeah. And what I mean by that is partner with good people, give them the capacity to do what they do best and stay out of the way, but monitor them like crazy. And it boils down to one of the things that, you know, oftentimes people say, well, what are the lessons learned? I think in 25 years, there's very little you can control. Just focus on what you can control. And that isn't outcomes. What that is, is process and being disciplined about the structure and knowing what your risk management is. And more importantly, how you define risk and not going off the reservation, as it were. So I really didn't answer your question in a really specific way. I but, love that answer. No, thank but, you. Yeah, flexibility, optionality. Build it into your investment process at all times. And partner with the top people and minds and thinkers and investors. Well, and a subtlety there, too. The best for someone might not be the best for you. Yeah. And that's not wrong, necessarily. I think one thing is oftentimes people chase track records that are fantastic, but they wind up philosophically at odds. So I think you have to be really comfortable with the manager or and even the investor that's putting money with you to make sure that you're on the same page psychologically and philosophically. Otherwise, when times are tough, you know, people aren't really going to stick with you. Yeah. And bringing it a bit back home now, mm. as you said, you are Saudi and from the US and you have a base in London as well. Yep. So you're a man of the world, but you see a big opportunity in Saudi, obviously, and that's largely why you started Atlas. Tell us a bit about that opportunity. Yeah. So, so the catalyst that's very specific to Saudi Arabia, obviously, is Vision 2030, which I'll touch on a little bit in a second. But backing up a little bit, Saudi Arabia has historically been relatively capital rich and I would say knowledge poor to some degree in that it's been somewhat a closed ecosystem to the rest of the world. And if you look at the investment talent, there's some extremely intelligent people. But in terms of, you know, being an investor, you have to really experience that. And if you're in some place like New York or London, Singapore, Hong Kong, market centers, you're competing with the best around the world constantly, right? Whereas if you're in a closed ecosystem, while you might have really good raw material in terms of intelligence, that knowledge transfer from an experience standpoint isn't getting in there. What's really exciting about Vision 2030, which is really an initiative that's pushing the kingdom to pursue economic policies that are diversifying the economy away from a pure oil dependence, yeah. means that you're really opening up to you know worldwide competition in other areas, but also needing knowledge from the rest of the world. And so Atlas Partners, what we're doing on top of that initiative is hopefully, again, acting as a bridge to bring talent and skill and knowledge into the kingdom and not just take capital out, which has historically been, you know, kind of the one-way traffic that's typically happened. Yeah. But Vision 23 is extremely exciting. Again, you know, you look at a country that has one of the most young 
and well-educated populations. If you're looking at statistics in terms of college education, you have a lot of people who have been educated abroad. English is, you know, widely spoken throughout the kingdom. You have actually a nascent entrepreneurial spirit that is really impressive to see. And I think what Vision 2030 is doing is it's allowing people to pursue that entrepreneurialism, giving them the excuse. Yeah. Historically, it's been the government that's been pushing everything along, and they're really looking to the private sector to start taking the lead in a lot of places. So it's a really interesting transitional period, and we know in markets that transitional periods create great opportunities. Thank you for that. Did you know Motive Partners has a weekly newsletter? It's called Brain Food. It comes out every Sunday morning and it's packed with all the things you need to know about financial services and technology. You can subscribe at motivepartners.com. Emma, I got to ask you, so you're not just first podcast, but yes. also just in London recently. Yes, yes, I am. And you're from I, down south, as we say in the States. Uh, yes, I'm from down south, from South Africa. And I'm new to London, new to this market and learning as I go, getting to meet incredible people like you. And as you can tell, I'm just absorbing all your words of wisdom and knowledge. I do want to hear more about you. Can you tell us a bit and maybe give a few highlights or case studies about your time at Atlas to date? I know it's relatively new, but what have been your milestones? Looking for office space. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> An office space it, it, where? We, because we, we are literally a startup in the yeah. purest sense of the word. I have to say, though, I mean, I think we're, we're punching above our weight in terms of the relationships that we've developed on the investment manager side, we've been yeah. shown some phenomenal opportunities that we can't wait to get in front of people in the kingdom and the region for that matter. And, you know, I'm not trying to be evasive and not answering that question, but we are so young and so new that it's early stages. But I'll back up a little bit again, going back to my previous experience at Hasana, because I think, you know, one case study that I like to tout is an example of a private equity relationship that we worked on which was really developing a unique partnership in terms of that use their capabilities, not their products. And we got around to working with a manager where they invested one-to-one -one with Hasana in a, a structure that was a long-term structure because you wanted to take advantage of the long-term nature of the capital that the investor had, Hasana in that particular case, but also a private equity manager that had a balance sheet that was big enough to invest alongside you on a one-to-one -one basis that I hadn't seen anywhere else in the world. And that was just a wonderful, I guess, victory for, you know, being challenging the status quo and uh, being cerebral and intellectual about things and not just saying, okay, I need to put money to work. It's like, let's align something here that brings your capabilities to our requirements. And, you know, as far as I can tell, it's worked out fantastically well in the few years that it's been in place. That's the kind of innovation that we're hoping to bring to a wider audience, if you will, both in terms of the managers that we talk with, but at the investors that we, we hope that we wind up working with. Okay. And hearing you speak, I can tell Hasana was obviously hugely pivotal in your mm. career and you learned a lot there. Can you tell us a bit about what exactly you learned and how that's equipped you for Atlas? And also tell us some of your biggest lessons as well throughout yeah. your whole career. Well, I mean, look, it's very rare that you as an investment professional get to be put in a position where you have that type of scale of capital to put to work. But combine that with an opportunity to start afresh. It was almost like blank sheet of paper, yeah, yeah. blue sky thinking. Because Hassan, as an operating entity, was only set up about six years ago now. 
But the capital, which is coming from the social insurance plan, had been around for over 40 years, but had been managed in a much more, say, pedestrian way. So we were able to say, okay, stop. What are we trying to do here? And really shake things up uh, you know, on a global basis. And when you approach smart, strategic thinking investors with a thoughtful, open you know, idea, yeah. I mean, people are just banging at our door. And I mean, like, you know, names that I, you know, you see on TV and stuff like that. And I'm sitting in their offices and, you know, kind of at the foot of XYZ, you know, and it is like, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store being able to have those types of conversations with people and for them to react in a very positive way and, and work with us was really phenomenal. And I guess what that taught me was anybody is open to creativity, right? Be yourself, you know, make sure that you find alignment. Alignment is a word we use all the time, both, you know, there, but definitely at Atlas Partners. We're structuring the way we do things so that we emphasize alignment. The other thing I would emphasize is like taking away is like, what makes a great investor? They're great risk managers. They are maniacal about worrying about the downside. And, you know, I'm going to totally misquote him, but Howard Marks, who I'm a huge fan of, the founder of Oak Tree, you know, says, focus on the downside and the risks and the winners will take care of themselves. Oftentimes people flip that. They're always looking for the winners and they forget that they can get blown up if they're not paying enough attention to the risks. So that's the other thing. I think, again, humility. A lot of people that I met, I think people say, oh, no, they're not very humble. I mean, look how, no, they're some of the most humble people because markets are so great at just knocking you down. Yeah, markets humble, even the best. You you show an ounce of hubris, it gets ugly quick. Yeah. So, yeah, those are things. But control what you can control, I would say, is probably the cornerstone of, you know, lessons learned. And, And, again, people chase performance. They forget that that's an outcome to a process. What you can control is the process. That's all that's repeatable. Markets are kind of going to do what they're going to do. But if your process is repeatable and, you know, you're adapting it to markets along the way, you have a much better probability of being successful. But nothing's guaranteed in these uh, in these markets. And, you know, that's a fantastic narrative to apply to your life as well, because we are living in the world where we're always on and yeah. anxiety and mental health is such a problem. And being able to focus on the things that you can control enables you to really keep a calm temperament, I guess. And on that, how do you deal yourself. You are such a busy person and you have so many things I'm sure happening in your life. How do you deal and how do you operate as your best? I just like once a day crawl into my corner and start crying. <laughs> you know, total, meltdown, total meltdown. Total <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> uh, like, it's an overused, I guess, cliche, but everybody's like, yeah, you know, live a holistic life and balanced life and all that. And Yeah, but what does that really mean? I mean, for me, if I was being very specific, you know, I've been playing guitar for over 30 years and I've tried meditating, but music is the best meditation for me. Yeah, It's like I could be having a terrible day, pick up my guitar, play for 10 minutes, like, yeah, the world's great again. I love that. Yeah, there's there's something something about uh, that. Taking care of yourself physically, I think it's really, really important. So, you know, I'm definitely trying to exercise as often as possible. Again, it's one of those things is, you know, I'm sure you're aware, you, you feel better afterwards. You could just yeah. feel like garbage. And then half an hour later, after going for a good run or having a good workout, it's like, why was I having yeah. an issue before? The 
the endorphins are sky yeah. high. But I'm also a huge believer in sleep, although I'm pretty bad about it. But it's being shown more and more that, you know, you can focus on exercise and diet and, you know, making sure that you're, you know, culturally aware and all that good stuff. But if, if you don't have good sleep, that's like the foundation for everything. And there's a great, great guy named Matt Walker, I believe is his name, who wrote a book called Why We Sleep. That is on my list. You have to read it. Everybody listening has to read it. If I can get it, that's like secret sauce as far as I'm concerned. Really? Yeah. And it's the saddest thing because when we're the busiest, sleep and exercise are the first things to fall away. Yeah. Turn off your phones. We need to turn off our phones at night. I know. And it adds to that whole anxiety element of, you know, you have emails, messages. I mean, there are probably about 30 different apps where you can receive uh, messages from. Also, sorry to cut you off, but the finance industry, I mean, we're we're all about, you know, bravado. And yeah, I worked a 14-hour day and 100-hour weeks. And it's like, look, there's been enough studies done that you can only really put in four to five, maybe six hours of real focused work. The rest of it's just noise at that point. Yes, and, I completely yeah. agree. So I only check email three times a week. So anybody's listening, don't send me an email on Tuesday and Thursday. Expect me to respond more than 24 hours later. Well, I feel honored because you were very responsive to my email well, in preparation yeah. for this podcast. <laughs> to you, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> we usually end off with one final question on your role models. You've done so well in your career, and I have no doubt that there were a few people who guided you along the way. Look, I fell into finance. I had some great bosses and not so great bosses. Yeah. But it changes all the time, right? So I have a a good friend that I met about a year and a half ago who's, who's been a serial entrepreneur his whole life, and he's in his early 60s now. And he's just like the sweetest person, but just such a great breath of fresh air. He's building something really incredible right now. And, you know, he's been a mentor for like last 18 months from almost day one. His wisdom is just something I I absorb constantly. But I I find that kind of in pieces here and there. I wouldn't say there's somebody that I constantly go back to. Look, my parents, without a doubt, set an incredible foundation. And my dad, particularly in the professional sense, you know, having grown up in the desert till he was 12 years old, first college educated uh, person in his family. I mean, imagine going to the United States in the, you know, the 60s, you know, after having grown up in the middle of the desert in the Arab world and then becoming a PhD in economics and, you know, at the forefront of, you know, a lot of the economic development of Saudi Arabia the first time in the 1970s. I mean, it's hard for him not to be a role model. Yeah, that's how I'd answer that. Oh, I love that. That was a fantastic answer. Thank you. And For me personally, I mean, I have learned so much from this short conversation, from focusing on what you can control and being humble and to sleep and exercise, bridging the gap between Saudi Arabia and the world. This has been a fantastic conversation. And thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to next time. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no 
obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry, the economy, motive partners, or motive partners' investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax, or other professional advice, or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.